I'm Al Phil Reese, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, or maybe disagree a lot, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive, writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Poem Talk's engineer, director, editor, Zach Cardner, and I have once again taken Poem Talk on the road, and we are happily here today in Los Angeles, California, in Pacific Palisades, to be exact, at the lovely home of Marjorie Perloff. And Zach and I are joined by Susan McCabe, professor in the creative writing and literature program at USC, a native of Los Angeles, who was indeed born on Sunset Boulevard. Exactly. N- really, truly? Truly. Not far from where we're sitting. Imminent. Whose books include a study of Elizabeth Bishop's Poetics of Loss and Cinematic Modernism, Modern Poetry and Film, published by Cambridge in 2005, and whose books of poetry include Swirl, 2003, and Descartes' Nightmare, 2008, and who is currently finishing a dual biography of H.D. and Breyer for Oxford, whose current poetry book is titled Fates, Taking Up the Uneasy Connection Between Technology and Ecopoetics, and by Robert von Hallberg, professor of English at Claremont McKenna College, co-editor of the journal Modernism Modernity, among whose many, many books are Lyric Powers, Literary Intellectuals and the Dissolution of the State, Conversations in Germany, 1990-1992, American Poetry and Culture, 1945-1980, to a book still very close to me on my shelf that Mm. I consult, and earlier book on Charles Olson, an important long section on poetry, politics, and intellectuals, published in Sack Van Berkovich's Cambridge History of American Literature, with innumerable essays on Ceylon, later Creeley, Libertarian Imagism, Ed Dorn, Paul Metcalf, Williams in the 30s, etc., 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 and by the aforementioned Marjorie Perloff, our host for today's Pump Talk, whose many important critical and scholarly books include, just to name some of them randomly, The Dance of the Intellect, Wittgenstein's Ladder, The Futurist Moment, and whose recent book is Edge of Irony, Modernism in the Shadow of the Habsburg Empire, a book that is now, as of this recording, out in paperback. I'm happy to say congratulations. And among whose most recent poetry-related essays and activities are an article on Susan Howe's Late Style, a course of lectures at the T.S. Eliot Summer School, and the annual Little, Little Gidding Lecture, summer 2017, to be published soon in Raritan, Recent keynote talks delivered in Kunming, China, and Singapore, and a new essay on Beckett's poetry for a collection to be called The New Beckett. Marjorie, thank you for having us over to your My house. pleasure, Al. It's, it's great to see you. Susan, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Do you have an elevator pitch on the H.D. Breyer bio? Well, no one has ever sort of interrelated their lives, and yeah. it's, it's quite a weaving act. Yeah. And I'm, I'm smack in the middle of World War II right now, and I think... <laughs> Tough time for both of them, I think. Very much so, yeah. and it, they're in and out of each other's way, and yeah. going to Cornwall or going to Eckington right. and right. Cambridge occasionally, but really living through the war. Yeah, great. And it, what it does to poetry is, is interesting, and I think right. it, it sort of 
Ashbury's a kind of response in a certain way. Great. In some ways. Well, we're, I hope that, that anyone who encounters this conversation will expect and wait, await that, that book. And Bob, quickly, um, you uh, have been working on a big collection of essays. Are you at liberty to say anything about Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hopeful? Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a collection of essays, evaluative essays on poetry since 1950 and an effort to nudge critics to sort things out a little bit more. Uh, it's a big fat book because there's not been a lot of sorting. Right. And we've got a long list of contenders for survival in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in this uh, among, and, among and poets. And poetry and value is one of your consistent uh, interests and yes, hallmarks it is, across it is. the year. Thanks for asking. Yes. Well, Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Well, today we four have gathered here at Marjorie's home to talk about a late and seemingly minor, or maybe not seemingly, maybe absolutely minor poem or not. that appeared in a 2012 book of poems called Quick Questions by John Ashbery, a collection not much commented upon, somewhat reviewed, and not all that favorably reviewed. The poem is called The Short Answer, and it appears on pages five and six of Quick Question. And Quick Question... That book has not been collected into any kind of collected poems because this has all happened recently. Um, although at readings in 2011, 2012, 2013, Ashbery read many poems from this book, some of them again and again. He only read this poem once that we know of, <laughs> which may be indicative, not sure. Our recording comes from Penn Sound's vast Ashbery page from a reading given at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst on September 20th, 2012. So here now is the late John Ashbery reading The Short Answer. The Short Answer. I am forced to sleepwalk much of the time. We hold on to these old ways, are troubled sometimes, and then the geyser goes away, time gutted. In and of itself, there is no great roar, force pitted against force, that makes up in time what it loses in speed. The waterfalls, the canyon, a royal I told you so, comes back to greet us at the beginning. How was your trip? Oh, I didn't last, you see, folded over like the margin of a dream of the thing in itself. Well, and what have we come to? A paper-thin past, just so, and tis pity. We regurgitate old anthems, and what has come to pass, and why dwell on these? Why make things more difficult than they already are? Because if it's boring in a different way, that'll be interesting too. That's what I say. That rascal, he jumped over the fence. I'm wiping my pants, nay, now. Did you ever hear from the one who said he'd be back once it was over? Who eluded me even in my sleep? That was a particularly promising time, we thought. Now the sun's out and it's raining again, just like a day from the compendium. I'll vouch for you, and we can go on scrolling as though nothing had risen. The horizon forest looks back at us. The preacher shook his head. The evangelist balanced two spools at the end of his little makeshift rope. We'd gone too far. We'd have to come back in a day or so. 
So I'd like us to start by each of us just tossing out a classic Ashbarian move, turn, trope, uh, ambiguous antecedent, you know, just, just, to, just to connect this to the Ashbury that we know for decades. Mm. Is pick, pick something. Susan, you want to start? What's a, what's a typical well, Ashbury move that you see? There's so here? many classic Ashbury moves here. Yeah, just name uh, all one of to the enjambments and the ending on, say, an article or one single word. Uh, the, the constant medial stops and then the lurching into the enjambment, forcing you to keep going. Mm -hmm. Can you give me, give us an example of the well, jam and how that works? Well, for instance, well and, what okay. have we come to? That's a classic. Yeah. I mean, that's a wonderful move mm -hmm. because it's so conversational and that's the mm -hmm. other thing. And, and it's as if he makes a pact with the reader that this is going to be a conversation and you're going to understand it. And, and so you go along with it. And then you don't right. understand that's Okay, right. Marjorie, a uh, classic Ashbury? Well, the, the Ashbury signature is the... One of his books is called Paradoxes and Oxymorons, right. Oxymorons and Paradoxes, rather. Right. <laughs> and you have that all the, all the way here. And, and facetious, parodic statements from the very first line, nobody can force you to sleepwalk. Sleepwalk is something people try to get you not to do. Right. And nobody forces you to sleepwalk. Right. So I'm forced to sleepwalk much of the time, and it's always reversing expectations. But he does it very well in some places. For instance, that rascal, he jumped over the fence. I'm on the fence. Uh, Ashbury is always taking whatever the cliches of the culture are. Mm -hmm. I'm on the fence on this issue. Right. Well, that rascal jumped over the fence. Right. So you're not on the fence. And, and every line almost has the pa the past but it's a paper thin past and the thing is not the thing itself the ding on sich but the thing in itself so just when you think oh we're getting the good old familiar the thing itself you get the thing in itself right. which is wrong so there's always a way of stopping the reader and saying you're going to hear something familiar but you're not because this right. is a story about things that don't work out you know right. the way they should perfect bob add something to that um, I think I'm going to wind up saying something close to what Marjorie just said in that uh, what I'd, what I'd um, stress is that uh, that's what I say, which is the end of the first, mm -hmm. uh, the first half of the poem. Um, and um, the thing about that is that, um, yeah, it's shop-worn language. It's a, a formulation, as is um, what have we come to. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are, mm -hmm. these are disavowed formulations. Mm -hmm. They're disavowed insofar as they are acknowledged to be banal or, or too common. Um, but, um, but the thing about his poetry that appeals to me is that he... He actually is interested, I believe, you, you may contradict me, but I believe he's interested in wisdom. I think he actually means to be reflecting on the, uh, uh, the meaning of life mm. uh, and what it comes to and, uh, in, in, in this poem about growing old, I think. And that's what I say is, is amusing and funny, if you know Ashbury. But sincere too, yeah. But sin sincere and... And and ironic too, and yeah. that kind of romantic irony. It's it can be beautiful. Yeah, I'll add to our list very quickly the trope of the trip. He's always talking about yes. we went yes. on a trip, we yes. came back from a yes. trip, we went on a trip, we got lost on the trip, I forgot we were on a trip. <laughs> it's just one of those things. So can we talk about 
the second half of the first stanza from well down to that's what I say. Marjorie, maybe you're first. From well, and what have we come to? A paper-thin fast, just so we regurgitate old anthems. I'll just make a suggestion and you can respond. I wrote in my, the margin here, meta poetry. I think the regurgitation of old anthems strikes me that he's talking about his poetry. Yes. Mm. Insofar as that's true, what would we want mm. to say about that? But he's used that phrase in earlier yes. poems oh, yeah. too. Yes. Regurgitate old anthems. It's always the past. I mean, notice the whole poem, of course, is very much concerned with the relation of past to present and future. And that's why trips are so important. And there's always, how do you deal with the past? So you're always regurgitating old anthems. One of the reasons Ashbury is so hard to imitate, I think, is that he's so literary. When you get just so and tis pity. We have tis pity, she's a whore. Mm -hmm. Or tis pity, you know, obviously right. they're always allusions to Renaissance texts, to, to Baroque texts, to whatever it is. And if it's boring in a different way, that'll be interesting too. I think it's an allusion to Cage, because it's Cage, who was a great friend of Ashbury's, who said, try something for a minute, it'll be boring. Try for five minutes, it'll be less boring. <laughs> try for 10 minutes, it'll become very interesting. So I can't help thinking that's an allusion to that, that it's boring, but it can become very interesting. So everything is equivocal. You think it's your usual sort of romantic exploration of the past, but of course it's never really quite right. coherent, which doesn't mean, and I agree with Bob, that he isn't very concerned about finding the meaning of the past. Right. But the thing that might be boring and the regurgitated old anthems might be as for instance, this poem. It's possible that he's aware that he is just doing the same thing again and again. Do you want to, I mean, you, you yeah. nodded yes when, you, when I suggested it was a metapoetic passage. Uh, John Hollander said a long time ago that trouble with Ashbery's work is that on one page you have John Ashbery and on another one you have John Trashbury. And, uh, the, and then he seems not to, he seems not to make the, the, this distinction. And, um, not, and not want to. Let's mm -hmm. stay on this topic. Susan first, then Marjorie. Well, we picked, I'll just reveal how Marjorie and I picked this. We thought, let's do a late poem, <laughs> and not a major poem. Let's try something that's a little unexpected, a little out of the way. I picked the short answer. I think Marjorie and I agreed a later book, quick question. And we, this is an unusual choice for poem talk in the sense that we picked somewhat randomly, I would uh -huh. say. And I think that's significant, in a po for me, in a positive way. Yeah. What well, actually, all this talk about this being a lesser poem of Ashbury, I, I mean, I'm reading this and I feel that it's of a piece with the whole body of work. Uh, he's really forcing you to be in the moment. And so if you think about Wallace Stevens saying, poetry helps us live our lives, what I think Ashbury does is he helps us forces us to stay in the moment of the line. And so we can't dwell anywhere. And so those lines that you read in particular, I want to address is that this, this come to pass is, is very carefully unspooling from the two lines before, what have we come to? And then later going into the promising time. So it's as though he's constantly pivoting between a, a past and a present that's never stable. We only have this paper-thin moment. Mm. And he forces the reader. And so this language of anthems does go back to his earlier work, which is his theme. And though it's enhanced by having this, quote, compendium that we can put our past into, uh, and regurgitate into, but we're still stuck in the moment, in this precarious moment. What do you think about the use of the word regurgitate? 
I mean, it's an ugly, it's an <laughs> yeah, ugly negative, notion. It's a negative you know? work, right? So, yeah, why? I think why? it's self doubt, self criticism. Well, I just okay. think that there's okay. no point. I mean, in because it. if it's boring in a different way, that'll be interesting too. That's that Cajun thing that Marjorie was talking right. about. And so he's the first one to say, I'm just going to keep doing this again and again. And at some point, I myself am going to find it interesting. But I, th I think t two points. One, to come back to your point about is he aware that he's writing maybe the same old thing again? No, I don't agree with you on that. I don't think he's thinking of that at all. I think, you know, he just keeps on writing. He's driven to write. And he doesn't think, oh, dear, maybe I'm just doing what I've already done. Mm -hmm. We can think that, but I don't think he thinks that way at all. Mm -hmm. And I think the other mm -hmm. thing you have to remember here is the title. And and quick question is a similar title, these short titles, because the titles are, well, wonderfully... Uh, ironic in a certain way. The short answer, you know, when I say, well, the short answer is, there never is a short <laughs> Not answer. Not to right. Don Asbury. Anyway. Anybody who says that is always really cutting because they don't Same really want to get into it. When someone sends you an email, Dear Marjorie, I have a quick question. And you say you the know. short answer is you're really fudging, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and that's what he's doing here. The short answer, there is no short answer to all well, these problems. Right. But the other thing that's very important is, to come back to the moment, is that you're catching him in the middle of a conversation. Right. Now, maybe Always. I'm aware of this because I knew Marlon. He really did talk that way. He's talking to a friend or a group of friends. They're sitting around. They're right. not doing very much. They're sitting around drinking. It's raining, but it's sunny, but it's raining again. And they're kind of thinking and pl plotting things out. And how was your trip? And notice he read it that way, not how was your trip. How was your trip? You're in the middle of somebody's conversation, and then you get the little narrative. Now, what's different in the later poetry, and this is definitely different, is there's much less narrative, but there's still narrative. The early poems, my favorite book is House Book of Boat Days. Mm -hmm. We all came and we did this, and at the sign of the antiques, we turned right. They're always <laughs> stories. And here, you just have the edge of stories, you know, yes. you but you still yes. have narrative. Um, yes. You still have bit the rascally jumped over the fence, you know. You have the preacher happen. and the, the preacher, well, which wanna, is very interesting. Yeah. The preacher shook his head. I don't know. The evangelist bounced That's two a story. And That's make a sure, story. but we'd gone too far. We'd have to come. And of course, you take, we've gone too far and take that cliche phrase, but then changes it. We'd have to come back in a day or so, which has nothing to do with going too far yeah. in this case. So there always is a narrative, as he said about Gertrude Stein, an open hymn of, to narrative yes. possibilities. Yes. You know, yeah. Don't you always also find, to go back to your earlier question about signatures, don't you find that there's, a, along with your, what you're saying, always a bit of whimsicality yeah. so oh, that absolutely. with the the short answer you can almost stop with the first line because yeah. that if that is the, the short, short answer, answer i am forced to sleepwalk much of the time and i was struck by you're saying the forcing no one can force you but he could have just written i sleepwalk much of the time right i mean i understood the poem to be an answer to the question how are you that's what I was going to say. Well, what yeah. is the question? Yeah. Is the short I mean, this goes back to Stein, <laughs> yeah. actually, well, how when she died on yes. the death right. well, What yeah. is the question? Yes. Yes. The yes. short answer. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I understood. I am forced to sleepwalk. I did. I did puzzle over that in the way that you were saying, Marjorie. Like nobody's forced to sleepwalk, right? right. But uh, but I, as a, as a statement about how uh, uh, you know I'm going through the motions. Right. 
then then it makes sense. It, absolutely. You know, then it makes sense to say I'm forced to Going in order to in order to yes. in order yes. to get and through. they're also like all the phrases you really hear, but just slightly off because if it were, well, how are you? I'm forced to sleep most of the time. I'm right. Exactly. Exactly. So I have to sleep. That's what you would, would be expect. completely normal. I'm forced to sleep most of the much of the time, and then you realize it's yeah. sleepwalk, yeah. which throws it off. So that's what he does. He we hold on to these old ways, are troubled sometimes, and then the geyser, which comes as a great mm -hmm. surprise, and I'm not myself mm -hmm. sure what to make of the guys yeah what did everybody I took it as that? I took it as uh, an uprising of discontent uh, and of that which is repressed by going through the motions mm. uh, mm -hmm. that the is, yeah the line that I would like us to talk about which <laughs> I puzzled me quite a lot was comes right after this geyser yeah. is the Force pit against force that makes up in time what it loses and so speed. that little phrase really compels me and to me feels like the core of the poem well, in a sense you got to tell me what that is because that's that's i got a question mark there because but i don't know what it makes means up make, in yeah. time when it loses in speed uh well so what would that be throughout the poem there's all these indeterminacies of time there's all these muches and and so forth and where where ways of measuring that don't work out so uh, do, don't you think he's referring to the speed of light and that if you would go faster than the speed of light, you would be stopped in space and you would then have no yeah. time. You would be... I like that reading, but I, uh, and I have a different one. Okay. <laughs> I, I see the first part of this poem as a contemplation on what it's like to be a poet at this moment for mm -hmm. him. So it's partly age and time. Um, and the second half of that first part strikes me, as I said before, is very much a contemplation about what it's like doing this particular thing, that re this particular regurgitation. And I see the second poem as a break, and then in a way, okay, now I'm going to start my poem. I've cleared my throat, mm. and what I have lost in speed. So I think this is an old, old person poem. This is a yes. late style. What I have lost in speed, I have made up in time. The force in my poetry now is not in that crazy dynamism of the, just the relentlessness of the early. So, and then the rascal, he jumps over the fence, is the starting of the story. He's, but he wants, Ashbarian, he wants to include the work it took to get to that. Mm. Um, and mm. so I, and I find this very moving. I find it very moving that he is going to vouch for us. See, only yeah. you in but, the poem, and I wonder about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to push that too hard, but I feel well, like I, that I little... I disagree about the poet. I think yeah. you, I think it is, the short answer is almost like anyone, when, when of course it's about old age. Well, how are you? How have you been? <laughs> I'm forced to sleep walk most of the time. We hold on to these old ways. All these things are wrong with me. And making up in time what it loses in speed. And the royal, I told you so. But it's not necessarily about being a poet. I think you're reading that in a little bit because he is a poet. I think it's visiting, visiting somebody. He's always, first of all, talked about poetry. We see right. us as we truly behave. I mean, from the very first book, they're all about, if you wish, metapoetic. But but I can take it much more practically. It's somebody, you know, when you come in and you see an old man and he's having a hard time and he's in bed or whatever, what have you been doing? How are you? Are you able to do anything? And he's sort of playing around with it. And how was your trip? I didn't last, you see. Fold it over like the margin. They always make almost uh, sense. Yeah. I think it's a very realistic poem. That's what I would argue. Bob, what do you to think me, about To me, it's all quite this? realistic. Mm. 
Uh, I think so too. I do. I think it is realistic and about about uh, about growing old and growing into vacancy too. Not just. I mean, I like what you said about lo- uh, losing speed and losing dexterity and however. But ga- wants gaining to, time. Somehow. But gaining accumulated time. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I like that. But when he says, "I'll vouch for you," and we can go on scrolling as though nothing had risen. Scrolling is not the word you expect. The word you would expect would be strolling, you know, uh, which would be the conventional mm-hmm. one. But what does it mean to go on scrolling? Computer st- strolling together arm in arm or some, uh, something. We'll go on. We'll That's go a very on good scrolling. point. We can go on strolling as though scrolling. nothing. Yes. 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 And something yes. similar is. And you mishear it slightly. So yes. every time you mishear. And by the way, the horizon forest. What is a horizon forest? A forest on the horizon. On I the thought. horizon. That's what it is. Yes. That's what I thought. So the forest is on the horizon, and you sort of see it, but not quite, you know. Mm-hmm. And in general, and the preacher, what about the evangelist? Oh, my God, well, I have something to, to say that, about though. that. A little bit of flat, <laughs> flat surrealism. The evangelist balances two spools at the end of a makeshift, makeshift rope. rope. So I drew it, I described it, I couldn't do it. That's the Ashbury that I first encountered. A little, a little bit of... I say surrealist, that's not the right word quite, but uh, impossible tomfoolery. The description here, it's really hard to pull off, but he does it right at the end. You have two spools at the end of a makeshift rope, no? You have a rope and the two little ends. But you've got an evangelist balancing the spools at the end. Well, I, well I describe well, the that questions for me. Are religious in You're the more of an engineer than I am. What is life? Or what is the well, meaning of life? Right. And the two spools, the two fates, the two weights, the, the two spools. I can picture a rope with two and, spools at the end. And future. You know? And yeah. the spool of time, the spool that's been unwound and this rewinding. But it's a little makeshift rope. I know, but that's again his ironizing the, the biblical or Intimations the of immortality, trying to see something and you can't quite. There's a sign of acuity and energy in that image. It's a, it's a, like a, yes, it, right. It, and it's as if he's saying. I think of uh, uh, Jimmy Durante at the opening of a silly <laughs> 1960s movie called "It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World." They find him. There's been a car accident. They go to see him, and he looks dead. And they say, "I guess he's dead." And he says, "I'm not dead yet. I'm still alive." Right. And I see, or 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 Wallace Stevens at the very end is saying. These long lines, I can barely write the long lines, the end, the, the end of the imagination. And then he says, wait a minute, I just imagined that. I'm still <laughs> able to do this. There's a way in which I see the end of this poem as kind of performing that he still can do what he's always done. Right. This is well, really vintage Ashbury. Exactly. Well, that was a particularly promising time, we thought. I mean, yeah. so there's another very Ashbury yeah. moment. Yes. That was a particularly promising time, we thought. Yes. But now, we're in the moment again. And so I do think this is sort of this constantly catching oneself from falling over. You're a sleepwalker and in the lines, and you, you're trying to constantly you know, recover your, your no. balance, in a sense, through these... I mean, from his very first poem, you have everything has a schedule if you can find out what it is. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's such a wonderful line. And yeah. you have that, you still have it here. Everything has a schedule, but you don't know what it is. You don't know how to answer. You don't know the short answer or the long answer. You try, though. Everybody tries. Yeah. And he yeah. tries, but I don't think it's so much about... Am I still a poet? Because I think he takes that as a given yes. that he's a poet. Yes. I don't think Ashbury is somebody who worries about 
oh my goodness, do I still have it? You well, know, well he, appearances he fake everything, worries. right? <laughs> he fake worries all the time. Uh, I think of a poem called The One Thing That Could Save America. It's yeah. not a great poem, but there he says, the pro and of course it's very much like this, there is no one thing. There is no right. short no. answer, right? There's no thing the one in thing itself. that could save America. You see a poem like that and you think, oh, I should read and find out what John Ashbery thinks is the one thing that could save America. And then in that poem he says, the problem with me is that I braid my thoughts too much. I'm too, con I can never come out straight. I think that's the extent to which, um, I think that's right. why make things more difficult than they already are? Why, oh John, here you go again. I think he is a little bit concerned that he can never get it straight. And he purposely uses wrong words, as you said, just, mm -hmm. just like a day from the compendium. It's not a day from the calendar. Mm -hmm. It's not a day from, why the compendium? I just feel like, it's, like it's a, almost a scriptorium. I feel yes. like some sort of void. Yes. That, I'm sorry I keep pushing the metapoetic, but I feel like it's a writing room. Anyway, Bob, you were going to say? Oh, I, I, I do think it, what he's saying there, maybe this is just obvious, is just like the past, the known past, the, no, the collection right. of stories, the known, the known days. And, um, and I, I guess... A retrospective. A retrospective. And so I would, if I, if I were editing him, I would end the second strophe with <laughs> compendium. And I would put a space there and then begin with, I'll vouch for you oh, and go on well, that would be scrolling. Nice. Uh, and, and I wanted to say about the, um, the evangelist and the preacher is that um, when he's, um, and we can go on scroll, as though nothing had risen. And uh, he, he, in order to write, and nothing had risen, that takes some work. It's not, the, it's not close to, to the, uh, risen is not close to our tongues. You know, it's a, it's a sort of, um, had risen is a, is a mm -hmm. kind of literary formulation, mm -hmm. and it's about the, and the it, most familiarly, the risen Christ. Right, yeah. as I would and, suggest. Yes. I'm also willing yeah. to bet that the yeah. preacher shook his head, the evangelist bounced his comes from some movie, but I can't tell you what. He certainly you know, so many did of his things come from, from movies. movies. <laughs> it looks like something, I can picture a movie, where you see the preacher, it's black and white, the preacher shook his it's head. It's like a western. Uh, yes. 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 Whatever, yes. I don't know what the film would be, but knowing how or it works. Or a Willie Nelson song. The preacher shook his it head. It really is a will. It's we a could look song. it up. I mean, if you put yeah. those lines well, into Google, yeah. if, if you put the lines into yeah. Google, you might come up with a film. Which is a, which is a lot, a lot of, of, of Ashbery, I don't want to say scholarship, but annotation. I mean, somebody is going to do the big collective yeah. with annotations. Right, right. And, yes. and we really need to figure all that out. How was your trip? Oh, I didn't last, you see. Folded over like the margin of a dream of the thing in itself. Well, and what have we come to? A paper-thin past, just so, and tis pity. We regurgitate old anthems, and what has come to pass, and why dwell on these? Why make things more difficult than they already are? On one reading of this poem, my, at the very end, my eyes welled up, thinking about John's recent passing, yes. thinking about We'd gone too far. We'd have to come back in a day or two. Yeah. Uh, actually, tomorrow, he will get up again and write another poem tomorrow. I mean, I think he wrote every day that he could possibly do mm -hmm. it. And some days the poems were great, and some days the poems were not so great. And he didn't particularly really, I think, care or distinguish mm. one of those days mm. from the other. And the, again, I, I know it's a metapoetic reading, but we'd have to come back in a day mm -hmm. or so. Come, stay tuned.
for more of <laughs> yeah. this time. I'm yes. wiping yes. that. Yes. That's so, I was very moved by that in one reading of the yes. poem, thinking, well, we can't I mean, I can, we can't do that anymore, <laughs> although there are plenty of poems. Yes. And what about, did you ever hear from the one who said he'd be back? Oh, I love once that. Once it was yeah. over. Who eluded me even in my sleep? I think it could be sleep. a Bergman movie. I'm looking there at is it. Like that. <laughs> now look at it. The preacher the shook his head. Seal. The evangelist balanced two spools at the end of his little makeshift rope. I mean, it's very visual. It's spare, really. isn't it? And what? It's spare. It's very it's spare. But his little stories are lusher than this. You can just picture it in a film. The preacher poem. shaking. Yes. Yeah, I think it yes. Is what if he had put those lines about the preacher? earlier in the piece. I mean, do they, they don't act as a closure for the poem, but they're kind of a pretend. Well, in poem. my reading, again, they <laughs> no, do, because they it's, do. it's his saying, yeah, I can do this still. Look at, look at this. I got a preacher. I got an evangelist. See me at work. We're getting to religion at the end. We'd gone too far. Yeah. We'd have to. We've gone too far. We'll We've have gone to, come, to back. come back. But yeah. the compendium to me seems like this big, vast crypt where every moment of time is pushed into where you can't access. It's a paper thin one. You can't, it's an archive you can't read. So it really makes you very aware that he's on the sort of very edge that in the sleepwalking really becomes more treacherous. So it's whimsical at first, but then it feels more serious in a certain way. We could talk about this poem and about Ashbury forever. So yes. let's go one each, one final thought that you came here today wanting to say about Ashbury or about this poem. All four of us get a shot at it. I thought, I was thinking of the, um, the leaps between sentences, mm. the gaps between mm -hmm. sentences, which I mentioned. Uh, and I wondered whether he's... Uh, I wonder what the manuscripts look like I, because one reads one reads him as if yes. you're trying to track a very thoughtful and and witty mind as it moves with with a kind of intimacy that doesn't spell doesn't provide conjunctions doesn't make the mm -hmm. connections. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he actually crossed out sentences yes. because there's That's a kind a good... of curatorial element to his poems, like the pince-nez and yeah, yeah. the rascal jumping over the fence. It's like from somewhere else. Yes. In comes yes. a rascal jumping over a fence. And he likes that, that from somewhere else yes. sense of the poetry. And we could say, this is Ashbury. And what about what about Ezra Pound? And those, those leaps, you know, the mm -hmm. much bigger leaps. And we don't and the leap could be compositional. I mean, famously, yeah. he would have just tons of scraps of paper near the bedside or the reading table, right? Marjorie, lots of scraps of paper. And some of the poems borrow from what's on the paper. Mm -hmm. There you have a uh. leap. He's importing something, right? right? Yeah, I think from the Ashbury's one weakness, and that has always been true, is structure in the larger sense, macro structure, yeah. that often you have passages where they could be in another poem just as easily. Mm -hmm. Now you can say yeah. that just about... Just as easily, to, exactly. Now you can say that about Henry James, too. You know, there's the famous story of the chapters reversed in The Ambassadors, where nobody noticed it yeah. for a long time. It, I think the reason he's such a popular poet, too, which is kind of amazing, because he's so difficult, is that he does sum up the culture, our culture, in so many ways of that kind of equivocation and one mode that immediately mm -hmm. slips into another. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder what will happen when that mood shifts, which it is going to shift now. It's already shifted, let's say, with Trump. I mean, in other words, we don't have that indeterminate Did you mood quite as Donald much. Trump in oh. home talk episode? <laughs> what? Well, I think you have a, much, a very different <laughs> mood now. 
you know, and and I think it is interesting to me, and I would predict that since he wrote so terribly much, and that the two volumes alone have 2,000 pages, and that's only up to the year 2000. This isn't even in it yet. So that's another 1,000 pages probably. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have 3,000 pages. How much did Wallace Stevens write altogether? Not much. A couple of hundred pages. And so I do feel that a reaction is going to set in. Now, that's my guess. I mean, that's not a cheerful thing to say. I think a reaction will set in and people will start being critical because they haven't been critical at all. But then it'll come back in a different way, although prunes somewhat because there is so much and so much of one mood in certain right. ways that um you know i don't know what to compare it to but well, i mean nobody else has written Stein, that much maybe thomas Stein. hardy yeah, and then nobody, Stein is a, and nobody reads well, all and of Henry Richard James, Stein. That's right, just it. Right, yeah. You see, it yeah. does play against you, like late Wordsworth well, or something. Yeah. When you write so much, yes. it but, does mean people are going to get fed up. And I know when I've taught Ashbery, I mean, it's been a while now, but even say 10 years ago, I know people said, like Nicole Krauss, our famous novelist, yeah. they would get very angry and they'd say, come on, he's always writing the same poem. Well, I think it, actually, it's getting though, repetitive. And of course, in some ways, that's so. Well, you people have blown apart my final words, little marching thing through. Was that your final word? <laughs> well, it's just we a question, come, really. No, I'm teasing you. Yeah, uh, I mean, so, I don't have a final word. Okay, well, why don't we go to Susan well, for a I mean, final word, very, and I'm sure. But I'm just building on, both of you have stimulated multiple ideas, but the, the notion of him doing the same thing over and over used to annoy me, but actually, but really in the good. last few years, I've found them actually not to annoy me for the very reason true. that they are mechanically working, that you can depend on them to work in a certain way, but you also can get lost in them. And I was particularly struck, and this is my final word, what I like about this poem, and I'm sure I could use any Ashbury poem to find this, but is the way it so aggressively and relentlessly pushes against this idea that poetry is this dwelling place, this perfect dwelling place, and that it's sealed off from everything outside of itself. And then building on what Marjorie was saying, that this sort of sense that the, we're seeing an edge, it's as if he's deftly smudging out any chance of completion, but this ability... It's a way of staying to, alive, by the way. Yes, and this ability to stay in the conversational mode even though you're enunciating things that others will not understand, is this contract with the reader that allows the reader, allows you to really dwell in a place where actually he's saying poetry is not the sonnet where you dwell. And so that's why he has, say, in the beginning of lines, uh, we regurgitate end word, regurgitate ugly word or whatever, and old anthems, what has come to pass, and why dwell on these? That word dwell struck me because he doesn't dwell, and yet this, this ability to... Why make more to, difficult than they are? <laughs> well, why make things more difficult than they are? Because that is a way to keep going, because there's always more to say. Yeah, but he doesn't need a way, but I think that's quite true that it isn't that notion of the poem that sort of, mm -hmm. you know, it's very un... What should the I Heideggerian. say? Very non-Heideggerian. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, 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 my final thought follows to, from that. Um, yeah. I didn't know John Ashbery very well, but I knew him well enough to know, and he often would say this in conversation, uh, he would sort of not, he would insist that he's not a strong ego, he wouldn't use that language, right? He didn't really know who he was, he would complain. 
uh, mm. or claim that he really was very sort of unformed, he would mm. claim. And that enables mm. this. And Absolutely. It, it, I think that's now true. That, beautiful. It, it, that it coincides with an era in which the self or identity is flattened uh, for a lot of young people, right, uh, is uh, variable, uh, we c is fluid, etc. That we could move to a time when the reassertion of that clearly identified ego, the strong ego, reasserts itself. I didn't itself. mean that so much. I no, I know. I was, saying, yeah. Yeah, I was saying something uh, different, yeah. but parallel to that, mm -hmm. a worry. Um, Stevens called his poems overall the whole, har whole of harmonium. Well, that was BS because he wrote very distinct separate poems even at the end. Mm -hmm. Although you could say it's the same thing over and over. This really is, the compendium really is the whole Ashbury right. again and again That's true. And again. Yes. I think that's a good point. And good uh, point. it goes on. Marjorie, yes. you didn't get a final word. You get one if you want. No, Any final thoughts? Well, I thought I thought word, word. I agree. I agree with Susan that I think it's amazing how powerful Ashbury still is. I mean, so much poetry that, and so many people have imitated him. We're just waiting to have studies of that. But there's <laughs> not only the first generation of David Shapiro, John, yeah, that whole generation, and Louderback. That, but the next generation of Adam Fitzgerald, Tim Donnelly, all those people, mm -hmm. Adam Fitzgerald, who was his assistant and who's sort of done well, and I think he's sort of aware of it in a way. I mean, Ashbury has had an incredible influence, but not necessarily for good, because you can't imitate him. I mean, of course, that's true of all well, very good people. You can imitate him, but you can't do it No, well. but right. it's especially bad Partly in because you case. have to have that The imitations thing. are especially bad because most mm. people, what they don't have that he has is that ability, negative capability, yes, first of all. to the to maximum be, To be able to move from one thing to another, not a strong ego, but also that he's so learned, that he has everything at his fingertips, which most younger people do not have at all. And so they sort of try to put in these things, clever things and phrases and right. so forth. And, you know, thinking that's all you have to do, you know, put in Hollywood or put in movies. I mean, and it doesn't really work. He And he actually, there's very, for him, he still is a poet, and that's unusual today, who life and art aren't that separate because he really did talk just this way. And he, and he thought this way. Yes. And that is the way his mind works. And what it does show about poetry is at its best when it's like this, it's inimitable because it's his sensibility and nobody else has a sensibility. Yeah. You can tell an Ashbury poem a mile away, whether an early yes, one can. or a later one. We like to end poem talk with a minute or two of gathering paradise, which is oh. a chance for <laughs> us to spread wide our narrow hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something <laughs> going on in the poetry world. So who wants to make a recommendation, gather some paradise? Bob? I've been just finished reading August Kleinsoller's Selected Prose and a collection of memoirs and critical essays. And I think, he's, I think he's a terrific poet, but he's also really a great writer of paragraphs and of, of essays, very shapely prose. It's a wonderful book. Great I had recommendation. a great time with it. Thank you. Uh, Marjorie, Well, I've just done a review for TLS on Donald Judd's writings, and what occurred to me working on that is what an important genre at, in Ashbury's day, or a little earlier, Artists' writings are Smithson, Carl Andre, Donald Judd isn't as good as they are. And then, of course, John Ashbery was friendly with a lot of those people. But how, talking of paragraphs and so forth, how interesting 
and poetic that writing is, and there really is a book that remains to be written on that. What happens when artists, I mean, artists have always written things, Joshua Reynolds or whatever, but not things that are poetic, and Smithson, who was always very poetic, and Judd in his own way, you know, is, is in the writings are being treated almost that way. So that's a kind of interesting development that has gone on now. Perfect. Thank you. Well, every day is a new year for me, practically, but I'm reading about uh, Edith Sitwell, and she's a very interesting woman, and the one thing I want to say is she won this wonderful libel case that would never be won today, is that she, she uh, a critic said that she was going to oblivion, this fits with Ashbury's poem, and she sued him for saying that she would be she was in oblivion, and she won four hundred and fifty pounds each for her and Osbert. One of the lawyers said to her, "Why do you always criticize others? Like you compared this poet to cheap linoleum, and the judge said, "Well, that's very true. Bestsellers are like cheap linoleum, and so she won the case." <laughs> Remarkable. Um, I read about that too. That's Somebody great. She had just the brother Osbert. Wasn't there another? Yes, Sakharov. Yeah. Sakharov, of course. Yes. Hey, hey, this is not my Gathering Paradise, but a a, a Sitwell footnote. Oh. Uh, in a novel, <laughs> a recent novel by T. C. Boyle, who lives up the road. Yes. Santa Barbara-ish. Yes. Uh, there's a silly character who owns three dogs, and they are Sacral, Osbert, and <laughs> Well, my gather, I, I have two little Gathering Paradises. Um, one is the aforementioned Henry James. Talk about, like non-egos or whatever it is that he was suffering mm. from, you know. Um, I think of Henry James and John Ashbery together so Absolutely. much. Oh, yeah. My second gathering paradise, because I came all the way to LA, I get to, is, forgive me, poem talk itself. I just wanted to shout out to teachers, high school teachers and community college teachers in particular, who've contacted me and us over the years to say that they've made a selection of 10 episodes, choosing from the 120 or so different poets, choosing the ones that fit the lesson or unit, and then they assign those poems, and then the students read the poem, listen to the poem, listen to the poem talk in a period, and then they get to talk about it. And then the next period, typically, they will try that on their own. Oh, that's very nice. You know, and I think in the age of easy podcasts, or videos, why aren't students sitting around like we are trying their hand at essentially copycatting yeah, this mode? I think yeah. it's a great mode. So, but what if you gave them half a chance? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's give them half a chance. So that's a good use of poem talk. Well, that's all the uh, evangelists balancing two spools we have time for on poem talk today. <laughs> poem talk at the Writer's House yes, is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my, to my guests, Bob Von Hallberg, Susan McCabe, Marjorie Perloff, and to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner, and to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing Zach Cardner. And once again, thanks to Zach for coming all the way out here to the left coast. And once again, thanks so much to Marjorie for hosting us here. And a shout out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Poem Talk. In our next episode, I'll be back in Philadelphia, joined by Sawako Nakayasu, Donato Mancini coming in all the way from Vancouver, and Gabriel Ojeda Segei to talk about two short poems by Suyen Juliet Lee. This is Al Filreis, and I hope you'll join us for that 
or another episode of Pump Talk.